David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin Ant, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.25 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 30th of January 2020, and this is episode 190 of Bitcoin and Lit's Start with Torchlight, shall we not? Shall we? Shall we? Um, it looks like Coin Ninja CEO or Larry Harmon uh, has received the torch and is accepting invoices at this moment because this was only about 30 minutes ago uh, for the torch uh, to be sent on. He says, Thank you, SV Harden and Hodelanot, for sending the LN Trust Chain 2 torch to me in Akron, Ohio, headquarters of at ninja underscore coin. Ninja coin. This is a great honor. Please reply to this invoice or please, please, good Lord, I'm having some problems today. Please reply to this with invoices for 1.71 million Satoshis or send your Twitter name and I can send it using the Dropbit app. Okay. I personally, I, as far as I know, the Dropbit app has not been used to send the torch on. I think it would be great if that were to occur. Um, so far I am like still liking the drop bit app. They have been a fairly solid Bitcoin and lightning network company. Uh, I still get a little cold feet because I used to shill, uh, get pay on this show and they turned out to be rubbish, uh, <laughs> for various reasons. We won't get into that. I covered that on a, on an earlier show. Um, so I, I get a little, get a little cold feet when I start talking about some Bitcoin companies, because I'm afraid that. You know, something's going to happen and then they're going to turn into a shit company and or you know, some kind of shit coin company and I'm going to be left with egg on my face. So guys, over at Dropbit, as long as you're doing what you're doing and you don't start up another company that's connected to Dropbit that has some kind of thing to do with shit coins, then I'll, you know, then you're, you guys are okay in my book. Please don't get into shit coinery, please. You know, you guys have been like awesome so far, but still. As far as I know, Dropbit has not, or one of these, like uh, the Dropbit app has not been used via Twitter to send the lightning torch or, or the trust, the trust chain torch on. I think it would be cool if, if that happened. So guys, if anybody who's listening to me, that's got Dropbit, and, but well, I, I say that by the time y'all, by the time I edit this thing down and get it uploaded, it's going to be like a, you know, two hours from now so, or an hour and a half from now. So uh, chances are good it'll probably be gone. But, um, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't send on your Twitter name to the next person holding the torch and see if they'll send it to you via Dropbit. Because I think it would be great if Dropbit was included in this whole thing as a vehicle of transmission for the Trust Chain Torch. Now, let's just go ahead and jump into vital statistics. Um. We have Bitcoin at a price of 9358 Looks like our high is going to be over at BitAsset at 9429 
Our low is chilling out over at GDAX at $9,342. Uh, 329,000 transactions been sent in the last 24 hours with 13,730 average transact or transactions on average per hour. 1.3 million BTC have been sent in that last 24 hours and 53,637 BTC are being sent per hour on average. The average transaction value is 3.91 BTC and the median transaction value is 0.028 BTC or right around 300 bucks. Block times are low. Eight minutes and 50 seconds. We have 0.1 BTC being taken in fees on a per block and 18 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had an eight and a half percent bump in hash rate, bringing us up to 122 exahashes per second. And the last commit to the GitHub repository for Bitcoin was sometime this morning. Ethereum is at 176, Bcash is at 383, BSV is at 293, Litecoin is at 63.9. God. Ethereum Classic is almost at 12 at $11.94. Dogecoin holding steady at 0.0024. 30,000 transactions puts it over Litecoin. Let's get into what... My node is saying, my, now my node, let me actually refresh that just for shits and giggles here. My node is saying that we got 125 exahashes per second. We've also got a pretty stacked mempool of 25 megabytes representing 18,237 transactions. All of the blocks are full and it looks like, yeah, the blocks seem to be coming in between 10 and Eight minutes, yeah. So there's that. Lightning Network looks like we have 11,207 nodes, 35,981 channels. The network capacity has gone to 881.9 BTC, representing $8.238 million in liquidity across the network. Uh, Oh, we've got 12 new nodes that came online in the last 24 hours, which is a 20% rise on a day-over-day basis. Only 128 new channels have entered uh, the network, and that represents a negative 20% change in a day-over-day basis. That's going to do it for Vitals. Now, the first story up in Morning Roundup is going to be the, about this Antonopoulos stuff. Now, the the article that I'm going to read is by Colin Post from Cointelegraph. This was written sometime yesterday. Now, before I even read the headline, there needs to be a caveat here. Andreas himself has come out uh, with a small tweet thread himself uh, sometime last night, and he was indicating that he was indeed part of two trials And he's standing as an expert witness. And he went on in that small tweet thread to make it painfully clear, as far as he's concerned, that an expert witness does not take sides on either side, like whether it's the plaintiff or the defendant. They're supposedly, no matter who brings the expert witness in, whether it's for the defense or for the plaintiffs, the expert witness is supposed to be 
100% neutral, okay? Uh, so he felt the need to say that, you know, and so I wrote him on Twitter and it said, look, why even talk about this until the, both of the trials are actually over? He responded with a tweet to me that said, I am an, or wait a minute, hold on. Let me, first of all, let me read the, the, the whole tweet thing he, he said, uh, about him being involved so that that's clear. Uh, at 425 yesterday afternoon, he says, I am an expert witness in two cases. Uh, as an expert witness, I am neutral. I am a neutral explainer of how Bitcoin works for the judge or jury. I am not taking a position on the facts of either case, nor do I have knowledge of the facts. I have been careful not to develop an opinion. That's what an expert witness does. They don't take sides. I think it is very important to have judges and juries understand this technology and have unbiased and accurate information about Bitcoin and open blockchains. Justice is served by having educated juries and judges. I'm good at explaining this stuff, and I've had a lot of practice. As such, I think I can do a good job even under stressful conditions. I'm not interested in taking sides, and I don't enjoy the drama. I do this despite the drama because I think it's a way to serve justice. I won't comment any further on either case as that would be improper. I only confirm that I am engaged as an expert witness on the plaintiff's sides in two currently litigated cases. I have explained my motivation, agree or not. That's why I do it. That's all. So when I, when I saw that, that post, I had to write him back. And I, I asked him uh, via Twitter as a response to that tweet storm, why even say anything until the trials are over? Andreas was good enough to respond. He says, because a couple of articles are already stirring up discussion and people misunderstand the role of an expert witness and the motivation behind my engagement, I want to clarify and clear misunderstandings. And that makes a lot of sense. So with all that said, Let's go ahead and get into one of the stories that I do believe Andreas is talking about as to the stirring up discussion thing. Antonopoulos writes to judge vouching for law team suing Bitfinex for BTC manipulation. So already, okay, this is the call, the Colin Post uh, Coin Telegraph article that was written yesterday. Uh, already vouching for. Uh, that I can see how, how that's stirring up controversy, you know, in discussion right there. So let's, let's get into this thing. One of the biggest names in crypto has joined in an ongoing argument about who will lead the class action suit against Bitfinex and its affiliates over alleged market manipulation leading to Bitcoin's 2017 bull run. Amid a flurry, amid a flurry of filing seeking to lead the class, Andreas Antonopoulos has come out in support of the legal team of Leibowitz, filing an affidavit on January the 27th, vouching for the expertise of the team, which Antonopoulos has seen in action on the Kleeman versus Wright case. Leibowitz representation includes a laundry list of attorneys from three separate firms, but Antonopoulos specifically commended Kyle Roach of Roach Searlink Friedman as the reason the firm should lead the proceedings before calling the firm unlikely, uh, uniquely qualified to represent members of the class, Antonopoulos wrote, quote, In the Kleeman matter, Mr. Roach has repeatedly demonstrated an understanding of the technical and functional properties of Bitcoin cryptocurrencies, blockchains, and their underlying cryptographic principles superior to many other attorneys. Antonopoulos's opinion on the matter is just one of a host of filings in recent weeks as three separate firms seek to lead the class, i.e. run the legal proceedings. In recent months, 
Bitfinex, alongside related companies Tether and Ifinex, have seen four separate class action complaints filed against them, all alleging market manipulation and all identifying the class as anyone in the United States who transacted in Bitcoin since mid-2017 or possibly earlier, potentially a huge demographic. The first of the four plaintiffs was Leibowitz in October, followed by Young in November and Ebanks and Falbus earlier in January. Earlier this week, the presiding judge ordered those four cases to consolidate. However, the question of leadership has remained. Karen Lerner, lead attorney for Young, argued for leadership by law firms Radis and Kirby McGearney, telling Cointelegraph that their complaint stood out based on, quote, significant investment of resources that resulted from our rigorous market analysis. Oh, my God. Apparently that we did more work, so therefore we should be leading this thing. Ah, God, you bunch of babies. In turn, Kyle Roach told Cointelegraph that our firm brings unparalleled experience and expertise in cryptocurrency litigation while also promoting the complaint brought by Roach Serialink Friedman on behalf of Leibowitz as, quote, the most legally sound and well-researched, end quote. Regarding the stakes of the case, Lerner explained that the case seeks to give money back to those who bought Bitcoin in recent years. Quote, the class action seeks to compensate investors in Bitcoin and Bitcoin futures for damages from paying an artificial price compared to what they should have paid if the price had not been manipulated by the defendants. <laughs> the firms will have until February the 7th to file oppositions to each other's motions per a January 28th order from the presiding judge Faya, F-A-I-L-L-A, you pronounce it how you want. Likely, this is an order... This is in order to allow the firms who filed their initial complaints only in January time to respond to the flurry of filings in the past several days. Research by John Griffin and Armin Shams, initially published on June 20, 2018, initially spread the theory that a single whale trading USDT on Bitfinex successfully manipulated the Bitcoin market. The researchers updated their work near the end of 2019 to specify Bitfinex as the likely culprit. As Cointelegraph reported, Bitfinex and Tether have publicly dismissed the single whale theory as well as subsequent lawsuits, which they have called mercenary and baseless. <laughs> mercenary. <laughs> I guess they're probably referring to Bitfinex. The uh, Twitter account, who apparently has a very large bone to pick with Bitfinex, he blocked me for some reason. I, I still don't understand that. I never really, I really never yelled at him or said anything bad to him. I, in fact, I, I don't know. I thought I was pretty nice to the. Oh well, it doesn't matter. People on on Twitter get an itchy block finger. Uh, I try. I personally, I just use mute. But be that as it may. The future of lending, crypto-backed loans, Bitcoinist. Uh, who's writing for this one? Are you really not going to put an author name on this? I guess it's by their staff. Oh, well. Uh, they're writing sometime this morning. The emergence of the blockchain and crypto industry remains the driving force behind an entire range of innovations that are looking to merge the technology of today with the traditional finance industry. The lending industry has felt the technology's most significant effects. The idea of allowing crypto owners to collateralize their assets has come a long way in only a couple of years. As of now, the crypto-based lending market is worth almost $5 billion. Unsurprisingly, companies offering crypto-backed loans are bursting onto the scene everywhere, and most of them are scammers, I'll bet you. I'm just saying, guys, be careful. 
Continuing, the popularity of the service only seems to grow, so let's dive in and have a better look at how crypto-based lending works. Financial Financing is crucial in today's world that re- revolves around consumption. While banks have dominated the lending space and dictated the general conditions in obtaining loans, the advent of blockchain brought the concept of decentralization. Today, crypto holders can use their Bitcoin or altcoin assets to obtain loans under favorable conditions. Last year, Bankera launched its crypto-backed loans platform, Bankera Loans, in an effort to provide users with quick, flexible, and accessible loans for cryptocurrency holders of all levels. The company does so by offering an entry limit of only 25 euros. For comparison, most of the competitors offer loans starting at around 500 bucks. One of the many great things about Bankera Loans is that they offer one of the highest loan-to-value ratios, LTV. An LTV is a ratio between the loan amount and the collateral market value. Simply put, an LTV ratio determines the amount of collateral you need to put forth to secure the loan. Lower LTV means larger collateral and vice versa. As Bankera loans, the upper LTV limit sets, sits at 75% while the industry standard lingers around 50 To address the varying needs of its consumer customers, the company offers three loan packages. The lowest rates, 25% LTV, rates from 6.95%. The most popular is 50% LTV, and the rates are from 9.95%. Maximum LTV is 75% LTV, and the rates are from 12.95%. The whole procedure to obtain a crypto-backed loan is simple, quick, and intuitive, pretty much the antithesis of trading traditional lending solutions. Since you are not required to go through lengthy credit checks, all you need to do is sign up for services and apply for a loan. Let's stop right there. That's going to end up being, not only is it going to be a problem, but it's, I mean, look, I hate the whole credit rating system. It's there for a reason, though. I mean, people put it there for a reason because, I don't know, deadbeat, you know, deadbeat borrowers or something like that. But it's got, my, in my opinion, the whole credit rating thing has gotten out of hand. But here's what's going to happen. That's going to change. Right now, it says you are not required to go through a lengthy credit check. Oh, you will. Just probably not this year, maybe not next year, but soon. And it will end up being eventually just as rigorous as what you have to do when you go through to try to get a home loan. I guarantee it. It's going to happen. So if you want to be a deadbeat borrower, I guess today is the day for you to go get that damn loan. But you're just, I don't know, you're going to end up losing some of your Bitcoin. Uh, Bankera loans users go with the most popular or max LTV packages only have BTC and ETH as collateral options. Those who choose to go with the lowest rates package can deposit collateral in BTC, ETH, Dash, as well as XEM. As for withdrawals, the platform supports a number of cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Ether, Tether, NIM, Dash. Also, if you were looking to withdraw in fiat, you can easily make a transfer to a Euro bank account. As standard practice, loans are issued for one year. However, you can repay the credit anytime before the deadline without incurring a penalty of any sort. An additional perk is that Bankera loans allow extending the period if it is not met. Finally, users can also choose to repay the credit with Bankera's native token, Banker, or BNK. (laughs) Anyone who decides to take this route will be rewarded. Bankera loans will lower interest rates for anyone using their token. Oh, my God. 
Uh, as more and more crypto lending solutions are about to burst into the market, making the right decision will become the central issue for the average user. To make the best decision possible, be sure to think about the LTV ratio, interest rates, repayment schedule, as well as customer support services before even signing up for the services. Bankera Loans, while a relatively new platform on the market, is a genuinely solid alternative to any established players in the industry. With its varied package options, quick approval, and the flexible repayment schedule, it caters to the neediest of needy. Oh my God. I don't know, man. This whole DeFi thing is getting... I was about to say out of hand. I don't know if it's out of hand, but it's definitely something to be very, very careful about. I mean, if you're going to put up, you know, your Bitcoin, essentially what you're doing is you're trading your keys for fiat. Is that the trade that you really want to make? If it's something that you have to do, make sure that that's exactly it, that you have to do it. You have no other option. You better have zero other option to do this kind of shit. Also, you know, how are these, how are these loans looked at in, you know, from a tax standpoint, like for instance, if I start a business out of cash out of my pocket, I got to pay taxes at a huge rate on those, on, on, on that money. If I go to a bank and get a loan and use the loan money for starting up a business, I don't pay taxes on any of that shit, at least in the United States. I don't know about you guys over there in Europe, but you know, or any, any other place in the world. But here, if you, if you get a, a loan for a business, you don't pay taxes on that money. But if I have to, if I started like, I don't know, a, a tree cutting business or something like that, or like a, a lawn service, if I have to buy like the truck and the trailer and all the shit, I got to pay taxes on all that. I don't get any breaks. So my question is, would the loans from DeFi markets be considered the same in from a tax standpoint? Like if I go get a loan from one of these guys and put up my Bitcoin for collateral, <clears throat> I get that loan and I start a business. Are the you know how's that going to look for taxes? I don't know, man. It's just it it it's a it's a bizarre, strange, brave new world that we are entering into. Global crypto giant Binance expands fiat gateways for traders and investors in Norway and Croatia. I'm going to make this one short. This is the Daily Hodel staff writing for the Daily Hodel. Lending cryptocurrency or leading cryptocurrency exchange Binance is now allowing traders to buy Bitcoin, Ether, Binance Coin, and XRP using the Norwegian Kroner and Croatian Kuna by linking their Visa cards. Binance says that users can complete their digital currency purchase in under a minute without needing to deposit first. The exchange plans to add support for MasterCard and other currencies in the future. So <clears throat> heading straight on down the road, Binance is just, I don't know, man, they're they are just destroying everything in their path. Uh, God. So let's get on to the next one. Oh, I love this one. Marie Julia's writing for uh, Cointelegraph. The Bank of Japan must be ready. To issue digital currency, says executive. Uh, the deputy governor of the Bank of Japan has said the institution must be ready to issue a central bank a digital currency should public demand surge in response to technical developments. In a strong statement of a future oriented ver- vision for the bank, Maya Sosha Amayani, I butchered that, told attendees at a seminar. As per a report uh, from Reuters on January the 30th, that, quote, 
The speed of technical innovation is very fast. Depending on how things unfold in the world of settlement systems, public demand for CBDCs could soar in Japan. We must be prepared to respond if that happens. However, the Bank of Japan has no imminent CBDC plans as of yet. But the whole fact that you got one of their, you know, one of these guys actually saying that they've got to be ready to go at a moment's notice means that they're going to be developing in the background. And I'm sure that they've been developing in the background for quite a while by now. Um, I expect the Bank of Japan to issue a central currency in the next couple of years. That's what that's that's how I see it. Uh, nation state shit coinery is is going has been uh, up and coming, and it's going to be a very big thing uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, Bitcoin basically broke open. I mean, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle, and it's kind of Bitcoin's fault. Whatever. Just hold the underlying asset of Bitcoin and you'll you'll probably be fine unless you're holding Zcash because their community approved a new mining reward distribution scheme. That's right. Benjamin Prius or Pyrus is writing for Cointelegraph sometime yesterday. A recent poll revealed a community support for Zcash mining reward changes, which will take effect in November of 2020. With the Zcash Founders Reward terminating in November, the privacy assets mining situation has come into question. A blog post from one of the project supporters, Electric Coin Company, or ECC, said on January the 28th. Using a bevy of avenues, including Telegram and Twitter, the Zcash Foundation questioned the coins community on mining payouts going forward, the blog post read. Taking effect in November during the coins halving as as community polls, as per community polls, the new mining reward distribution will be as follows. 80% for the miners, 7% for the electric coin company, 5% for the Zcash Foundation, and 8% for grants. The post explained, quote, grant participants will receive the largest portion of development funds, which will further decentralize Zcash-related efforts. Stipulations were also introduced for formal accountability and reporting requirements of each participant, end quote. Born in 2016, Zcash began with a founder's reward built to last until 2020. As per the original reward structure, Zcash currently pays out 80% of its mining rewards to miners and 15% to founders, investors, and other types, with the remaining 5% going to the electric coin company. The Post, however, noted pending agreement from the Zcash Foundation on the new changes. Quote, the Zcash trademark is stewarded by the Zcash Foundation and ECC. The agreement stipulates that neither party has independent authority to declare that a specific or declare that a specific chain of Zcash can actually be called Zcash. End quote. Moving forward, the Electric Coin Company and the Zcash Foundation must collaboratively finalize the community-approved proposal, code the changes into the network for a November start date, and wait for the community to join the new upgrade near the end of 2020. Cointelegraph reached out to ECC CEO Zuko Wilcox O'Hearn for comment, but received no response as of press time. The article will be updated accordingly upon receipt of a response. This is just, don't. Just, guys, I'm telling you, man, if you want to get into shit coinery, you're going to have to deal with this all the time. You're going to have to deal with groups of people wearing suits and and ties and sitting in chairs, glad handing each other about how they're going to screw you out of your money. Dude, just buy Bitcoin. Seriously, man. Seriously. Omai's go foremost crating exchange is shutting down. Regulatory compliance proved 
Too expensive to keep the Go Exchange running. Decrypts. Liam Frost is writing sometime this morning. Cryptocurrency trading platform Go Exchange shut down today due to overbearing regulatory requirements, according to a statement. The exchange is a subsidiary of Thai financial services company Omize Go or Omize Holdings that builds the Omize Go OMG currency. OMG. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm wrecked. From today, the exchange will no longer accept new customers or allow trades to take place on the platform other than withdrawals. Customers have until March 15th, 2020 to withdraw their funds. Go Exchange's team blamed increasing regulatory complexities and uncertainty for this sudden closure, quote, which considerably changed the cost-benefit analysis of operating an exchange, end quote. The exchange was launched in March of 2019 with the aim of providing a secure, sustainable, and fully compliant platform. It applied for a license to operate in Malta in late 2019, but the regulatory hurdles were just too high. Omizgo is a proof-of-stake cryptocurrency. It's not a cryptocurrency. Designed for use in financial services. In July 2017, an ICO for Omizgo raised $25 million with the Thai Ministry of Finance officially endorsing it a month after the public sale. However, the price of the token has flatlined in the last year to a current price of $0.86, down 97% from its all-time high of $25. That the project is running out of funds is not exactly a surprise. It's because it's a shitcoin. Stop it. Oh, let's see. Canadian mining firm publicly rejects the Bitcoin Cash tax plan. Oh, my God. You, yeah, yeah. I, t- I warned you guys. I warned, I warned you. T-A-A-L, or TAL, a Canadian Bitcoin mining firm which mines Bitcoin Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV has announced their plans to no longer mine on the BCH chain. Bcash, the beleaguered fork of Bitcoin, which split off from the Bitcoin network in August of 2017, announced last week that there will be a tax imposed on miners of 12.5% of mining revenues to fund new development on the Bcash chain. Uh, no, actually, I'm, I, let's stick with the truth here, guys. Uh, Bitcoinist, stop it. That's not exactly true. And and again, this is Ricardo Martinez writing on January the 28th for Bitcoinist. I forgot to tell you guys that, um, there, there will not be a tax imposed on miners. There's a potential that a tax could be imposed on miners, but we don't know yet because it's a circus just like everything else with BCH. So whatever. Anyway, got to have, you got to clear that up for the truth because it's not true that it will be imposed. It might be imposed. We don't know yet. The new proposal was extremely unpopular from its out, outset. I wonder why many BCHers took to social media to produce, protest the move. It was seen as hypocritical as much of the BCH community shares a libertarian leaning ideology, which disagrees with the idea of taxation Roger Ver, a BCH advocate and longtime supporter, was called out for his hypocritical support of implementing tax on miners. Last year, he publicly made such statements as taxation is theft when in reference to taxes collected by the state. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Roger Ver is not an advocate and longtime supporter. It's his fork. He forced it. He did this. He owns BCH. He's not an advocate of and a supporter of because that goes along with being the owner of BCH. He owns it. It's him. He did this. Advocate and longtime supporter is disingenuous. Get your shit straight. 
Canadian mining startup Tall is one of the first companies to publicly reject the Bcash dev tax. According to a press release, they expressed negative sentiment toward what they see as a coercive move by the five biggest Chinese mining pools mining on the BCH chain. The mining pools that Tall is referring have vowed to orphan blocks of miners who don't submit and pay the tax to a Hong Kong corporation backed by the five mining pools. Orphaning a block is when the other mining mining pools reject the block as invalid. The tax is euphemistically being called mandatory funding plan. <laughs> mandatory funding plan. Tal states that the tax may cause securities laws issue, security law issues and antitrust concern in many jurisdictions where BCH is mined. The firm has also stated its intent to quit mining BCH and focus on BSV and BC, BTC instead. Many BCH users have expressed concerns that this tax controversy may actually cause the unpopular blockchain to split via hard fork once again. Bcash first splintered off BTC over the block size debate. BCH proponents favored a larger block size to increase scalability throughput and to keep fees low. Bitcoin supporters opposed the block size increase, and the bitter debate led to a network split. A little over a year after BCH's inception, Craig Wright, the self-proclaimed Satoshi, had a falling out with Roger Ver and Jihan Wu on November the 15th, 2018. Wright led the effort to fork the BCH network again and launched Bitcoin SV. Bcash currently stands with less than 3% of the hash rate of the Bitcoin network. Many BCH supporters fear that the mandatory funding plan could cause an exodus of miners from the network. No shit, Sherlock. In turn, this could cause a loss of security and possibly lead to another hard fork down the line. While the mandatory funding plan is only supposed to be implemented until November the 15th of this year, history shows that new taxes are often very difficult to roll back. Rolling back a tax that has been imposed without a representative voice may be near impossible. Okay, so yeah, it will split. If this if if this goes in, it will BCH will split again on the day that those uh, network rules are put into place. I've said this on uh, Adam Meister's show uh, this week in Bitcoin last Friday that there will be one major fork and only one major fork at the outset. After that. It's going to be splintering all the way down. It's just going to be fork after fork after fork after fork. Now, Roger Ver has already pulled out of this. Let's let's uh, remind ourselves that he's already like ran, you know, run with his tail between his legs on this. He signed that piece of paper that talked about the twelve point five percent tax. I talked about it yesterday, <clears throat> and he's he's already he's already bailed. He's already said that they're not going to support that. It's it's just amazing to see these people posit something that is so ludicrous and also, in, in Roger Verse's case, so against his own stated ethics that it was just a circus from the, from the minute he put his name on that. And, of course, he's going to get backlash. Who wouldn't get backlash? If all of a sudden I started talking about how Omai's go, you know, or Tron was, was the next Bitcoin— uh, I would have zero listeners. Actually, I'd probably have more listeners than I would, but I'd be a shit coiner and I'm not going to do that because I don't believe in any of those other, any of the other things, but I would have gone back on my ethic. Right. And anybody who listens to me now, who listens to me for, you know, what, what comes out of that ethic would give me the finger and never listen to me again and badmouth the shit out of me on every, you know, well, actually they probably wouldn't even spend their time. They really just forget about my ass. Right. 
I don't know why Roger thought that he, that signing a document that's going to tax minors when he says things like taxation is theft. And it wasn't just last year that he said that he's been saying that as long as he's been talking as far as I know. And all of a sudden he wants to implement a tax. Of course, he's going to get backlash, of course. So we'll see how that circus rolls out. But in the meantime, the circus continues. Bitcoin Cash stopped producing blocks for five and a half hours. Find out why. Christine Vasileva is writing for Bitcoinist.com sometime this morning. Bcash experienced a serious mining anomaly today. The network failed to produce a single block in a five-hour period, and it didn't even cause a significant transaction backlog. <laughs> Bcash usage is still lagging. Show the latest blockchain event where miners are unable to discover a block for hours. The Bcash network returned to regular block production as of 8 o'clock a.m. UTC on Thursday with a five-hour gap in block production. The event happened after block 620,025 and the next block number, number 26, took more than five hours to discover and propagate. Whale Panda, a staunch Bitcoin proponent, did not miss a beat to comment on the circus. Oh, they say event, but they spelled circus wrong. And while a slower block is not unusual, the event also revealed the relatively low transaction count for the network. Uh, and then they give the tweet for Whale Panda. He says, BCH has so few transactions that after five and a half hours of no block, it still only fills up 2.3 megabytes. I also think that the coffee is really cold after five and a half hours. Ooh, man, what a dig, bro. Slower blocks where miners fail to discover a block have happened to Bitcoin as well with a lag time of about an hour. Mining Bcash has an emergency difficulty, difficulty adjustment, but it is still possible that luck plays a role. Depending on how hashes are tested to satisfy the conditions for a block header, the process may take longer than the 10-minute block time, even with no changes in difficulty. I thought Bcash got rid of their emergency difficulty adjustment. I don't know. I guess I'll have to look up look that one up, but I swear to God, I, I, I thought they got rid of it. Anyway... Bcash Network also carries around 50,000 transactions per day, about six times lower in comparison to Bitcoin. Outside of special tests and attempts at large block propagation, actual usage remains relatively low. To visualize the low load transaction street shows that BCH has almost no pending transaction at the time of writing, and the five-hour block backlog was resolved in three blocks, one carrying 6,950 transactions and the other 1,590 the Bcash network has no limits on block size, although it requires more dedicated resources to be able to propagate a larger block. Despite the random nature of the event, it was used once again to take a dig at Bcash. There is still some competition in comparison with Bitcoin, but also challenges from BSV, the newest network that's split with an entirely new mining model. BSV, while not immune from a slow block, is optimized to propagate very large blocks. Oh, yeah, The opposite anomaly of a slow block is the discovery of two blocks, of which one is abandoned. Just days ago, the Bitcoin network produced an extra block that went stale. This event is also relatively rare and unpredictable, happening months or years apart. Uh, so, yeah, an entirely new mining model? Nope. If if what if by new mining model for BSV you mean that Calvin Air owns the entire thing, then yeah, I guess. But I mean, no serious miner is actually mining BSV. It's that's that's freaking ridiculous. 
Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. No. Oh yeah. Uh, Bit uh, Bitrex takes out a record three hundred million dollar insurance on crypto held in cold storage. The company announced the news Thursday, saying it had obtained digital asset insurance that will protect users' holdings in case of external theft or internal collusion. Bitrex CEO Bill Sahara said the cover, which has a limit of up to $300 million, offers peace of mind and would show clients the exchange is committed to prioritizing security through all of our decisions and forward-looking blockchain technologies. The insurance was underwritten by Arch Syndicate 2012, which provides specialized insurance for corporations. The policy was approved after the exchange demonstrated its internal security and compliance protocols and was supported by other syndicates based out of Lloyd's of London, one of the world's largest insurance markets. The term external theft is likely to mean a theft via a physical intrusion into Bittrex's crypto vault as cold vaults are not generally vulnerable, vulnerable to hacking. The cover may be similar to Arch's Blue Vault, which provides limits of up to $150 million and covers the loss of digital assets due to internal and external theft and also includes employee collusion. Coindesk has contacted the exchange to clarify the cover more precisely. Sarah Downey, the co-leader of the digital asset risk transfer team at Marsh, the insurance broker that assisted Bitfinex in drawing up the policy, said, quote, insurance plays a critical role in the growth and development of any business, including those that work with blockchain technology and digital assets. Insurance coverage is a growing trend among businesses that hold users' cryptocurrencies. Custodial Solutions Knox has insurance, also from Lloyd's, which covers losses of, of up to $100 million. The Winklevi created their own insurance company earlier this month to guarantee losses up to $200 million for Gemini users. Coinbase previously held the record for the largest insurance co- coverage in crypto, insuring against third-party attack, third attacks of up to $255 million. So there you go. Now, um, I tweeted this out a little bit earlier. It appears that um, Bitcoin is starting to become backed by the U.S. dollar. Don't hate me for saying that. I'm just saying that with all this insurance stuff flowing around, at one point or another, as more and more of this stif- stuff comes in, how is it that somebody would actually be able to say that Bitcoin is backed by nothing? Now, we all know that it's backed by the currency of creation, energy, okay? And I use the term creation just to, like, if it's in the universe, then it's, like, actually, the universe that we know may not be the only universe there is. There's, multi, you know, like, multi-universe theories out there. So I'm saying all of creation to basically as, a, as an umbrella of anything that there is, the energy cur- or the currency of of anything inside that quote is is energy okay so energy is actually the one that, that backs bitcoin and we all know that however because we can't get it through the thick ass heads of of some of the people out there when at one point or another we'll probably be able to say well it's backed by the US dollar it has this much in insurance behind it and and very well may be hundreds of billions of dollars of insurance at one point or another. It would be interesting to see if the insurance at like how much the insurance amount is going to pace with the market cap of Bitcoin. Like what would have what would happen if there was actually more insurance available to cover the existing coins than the market cap of said existing coins? What co- is that even an arbitrage opportunity? I don't know. It's it's weird, but be that as it may, more and more insurance is coming up, and that insurance can be looked at as backing Bitcoin. I'm just saying. 
Stablecoins flip Ethereum's native currency and transfer value. This was written today at Coindesk by Sebastian Sinclair. A greater share of value is being transferred via stablecoins over the Ethereum network than its own native cryptocurrency, Ether, according to research conducted by crypto data aggregate Masari. In a recent tweet, research analyst at Missouri, Ryan Watkins, said stablecoin transfer value had flipped Ethereum's native currency, ETH. Quote, this is largely the story of Tether transitioning to Ethereum. On a weekly basis, the flip occurred mid-2019. Since then, the change is striking, Watkins said. The outstripping of ETH by stablecoins on its own network signifies a major step towards trust in cryptocurrencies whose value are pegged one-to-one to a major currency like the United States dollar. The Ethereum network allows for numerous tokens to operate within its ecosystem amid the backdrop of interoperability, enabling seamless transactions between multiple parties. ERC-20 shitcoins, I mean stablecoins, however, are by far the most sought-after token on the Ethereum network, in part largely due to the rise of the United States dollar-backed stablecoin USDT, as Watkins notes. USDT flipped ETH sometime during the months of April and May of 2019, with the transfer value outstripping Ethereum's native token and USDT maintaining its dominance ever since. The company behind the stablecoin, Tether LTD, began migrating tokens to Ethereum in April of 2019. A few months later, the amount of USDT on Bitcoin's Omni layer started rapidly declining. Tether has since started using new tokens on the Tron and Liquid blockchains with an influx of USDT in November of 2019, far outstripping ETH. This is something that Bitcoiners don't have to worry about, is it? Because Tether's not being traded on the Bitcoin network, as far as I know. I mean, not like the base layer. I mean, there might be a transaction on the base layer that has something to do with swapping Tether but or, or in some way, shape, or form. But this is something that Tron's going to have to worry about. Neo, uh, God forbid, what's it? EOS, uh, Ethereum clearly has something to worry about because nobody wants Ethereum. They just want to uh, cannibalize the Ethereum network to trade what very well may be a sketchy um, stablecoin. I don't know. I'm not a Tether hater, but I'm not a Tether lover either. I don't need it because I don't trade. So I, I probably just should not say anything about it at all. But I don't know, man. Tether's kind of sketch, dude. I, I just, I, I mean, it's like a private company. How the hell is this not going to end up poorly for a lot of people in the, in the future? I don't know. But what, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I can say here is that it seems fairly obvious that there is a hell of a demand for Tether to the point that Tether is starting to cannibalize the shitcoin networks because apparently that's the only real value shitcoin networks offer is the fact that they're connected to other nodes and those nodes are at least just a network to them. Tether very well may be if it even if it is sketch it very well may, may be a very good example of um oh what am I trying to say here um Oh God! Oh, eh. Obligate parasite. That's what I was thinking of, uh, and, and a couple of other things. There, there's probably some some other you know more you know nicer ways to put it, like maybe you know mushroom just looking for an advantage or something like that. But like you know how earth well you you don't may not know this, but earthworms are really great in garden soil. Why? Because they burrow, 
And a lot of people go, well, yeah, because they're, they're creating, you know, they're eating stuff and they're, they're pooping it out and they've, uh, kind of changed the chemistry of that, which they poop out, making it more available. It's not just that that's cool in itself. It's the burrow. It's the physical burrow plant roots hit that burrow and they take off like a rocket and they go deeper and deeper and deeper because there's nothing in their way. It's a ready-made pathway for the plant roots to be able to fire as far as they, as far as the, they can get in that wormhole at one point or another, the wormhole stops or collapses or, or something happens. And it, it, and then it goes back to regular having to dig through the soil. But while those plant roots are in that tube left behind by the earthworm, because the earthworm did all the work. Now the roots can take advantage. Shitcoin networks. Beware. All you really are is a hole left behind by a worm. That sounds probably, that's probably entirely too ingracious, but we're going to end with about the most ingracious thing that you can possibly imagine. So I'm going to take a a breath here because it's going to be about the Craig man. All right, I'm back. Probably should have gotten myself good and liquored up, but dude, it's 1046 AM central standard time. (laughs) Still though, a good belt of scotch would probably take me through this one a little bit better. Priyeshu Garg is writing for CryptoSlate.com sometime yesterday. Craig Wright on Bitcoin private keys. It's none of your goddamn business. (laughs) That's a direct quote. Not surprising coming from Craig Wright. Okay, so here it is. Craig Wright still doesn't want to reveal whether or not he has access to the private keys to his alleged 1.1 million BTC fortune. In an interview with Block TV, Wright offered his unfiltered thoughts on some of the hottest issues in crypto, including privacy, decentralization, the Kleeman trial, and the true purpose of Bitcoin. While Wright's answers may not come as a surprise to his supporters, others might find it hard to believe many of his outlandish claims. Many things can be said about Craig Wright, the chief scientist at N-Chain and the self-proclaimed Satoshi Nakamoto. Boring, however, certainly isn't one of them. There are no two days alike when covering one of the most controversial figures in the crypto industry as Wright just keeps delivering incomparably outlandish content day after day. In an interview with Block TV, Wright touched on some of the most discussed topics in the crypto industry and offered his unfiltered view of the global industry he claims to have created. One of the most prevalent questions platforms like Block TV get when they host Wright is why? Wright himself, though, isn't too concerned with the efforts to deplatform him. Wright told Block TV's Asher Westrop, quote, You have a bunch of morons who have no idea, running around saying censorship resistance is important, and then going, but don't let him talk, end quote. Wright's opening certainly set the tone for the entire interview. He spared no words when discussing some of the controversies surrounding him, trashing everything and everyone on his way. First, target was Bitcoin Core, the original version of Bitcoin he claims to have created. Wright refused to call Bitcoin Core a version of Bitcoin, saying instead it was a copy of Bitcoin that was made into something it wasn't meant to be. According to him, the biggest problem with Bitcoin Core is the huge amount of importance that was put on its hash rate. 
Hash, he explains, is only a small component of what Bitcoin is meant to be and was oversold by companies such as Bitmain. Instead, Bitcoin is about propagating, verifying, and storing transactions, he said, adding that people, quote, have no idea what they're talking about, end quote, when it comes to Bitcoin. Quote, Bitcoin was about creating a distributed timestamping service that was incentivized, end quote. Wright's words, however, don't have any backing in reality. The title of Bitcoin's white paper, the very white paper Wright claims to have written and has referenced multiple times throughout the interview, proves this is simply not true. Timestamping is introduced only as a means to prove that transactions recorded on the blockchain existed. After landing on the topic of cryptocurrencies being used in criminal activity, Wright said more government oversight is the matter in the matter is necessary. He noted that there are hundreds of ways to register crypto addresses and enable better tracking, adding that he never envisioned Bitcoin as something to be used to bypass regulations. Quote, Bitcoin is actually designed to work completely within legislative frameworks. End quote. Wright also believes that bad timing was what made Bitcoin attractive to cypherpunks and those looking for a way to bypass regulations. The collapse of e-gold has left a lot of people with negative ties to the system, thinking that Bitcoin could be more anonymous and used to facilitate transactions in dark web marketplaces such as Silk Road. The privacy he claims to have envisioned for Bitcoin often gets conflated with anonymity, he explained, quote, being outside the financial system is not equal to being anonymous. End quote. What he claims he had in mind for the world's first decentralized currency was traceable pseudonymity. Oh, Jesus <laughs> All of the efforts that have been put into and are currently being put into Bitcoin Core, the original and dominant version of Bitcoin, are trying to make that disappear, he said. When asked whether his vision for the crypto industry leaves any space for privacy coins, his answer was a cold, hard no. Wright believes that there is no such thing as a privacy coin, as most of the cryptocurrencies claiming to be that actually aren't seeking to be private. What they want, he said, is to avoid keeping records and ensure the anonymity of its users. <coughs> As the interview went on, Wright found it increasingly hard to keep his composure. <laughs> you think? While he's certainly not known for his diplomatic approach, the in-chain scientist went off the rails when the subject of his trial with Ira Kleeman was raised. The overly defensive Wright asserted that it wasn't him that was trying to prove his ownership of the alleged 1.1 million BTC, but Ira Kleeman. He called him a con man that was trying to falsely prove a partnership in order to claim the money he never owned. The partnership with Dave Kleeman, Wright asserted, never existed. However, numerous court documents, many even filed by Wright's own legal team, prove otherwise. Numerous mentions of Dave Kleeman have been found in Wright's filings, as was an abundance of email and other correspondence with Kleeman. Wright's trial over the ownership over 1 million BTC has seen a massive turn when the date of when the date of the notorious bonded courier was supposed to arrive has come and gone. After trying to steer the conversation in another direction, Wright was bluntly asked whether or not he had the private keys to the addresses where the alleged Bitcoin fortune was held. Wright's answer, though, was equally as blunt. None of your goddamn business, he snapped and proceeded to ask the host, what credit card did you pay that hooker with? <laughs> Hookers and blow. 
The host's initial shock didn't last long as Wright went on to explain that asking that question was just as rude as him being asked about his private keys. In his words, this was nothing more than a shameless attempt to infringe on his financial privacy. Despite his trial with Kleeman having the potential to disrupt the entire crypto industry, Wright believes its proceedings are not in the public domain, nor are they something that should ever be discussed. He called the crypto media a bunch of rude assholes whose main goal seems to be to ask how much money he had. A later attempt to ask him more about the private keys resulted in an even more aggressive screw you directed at the host. Block TV's Asher Westrop wasn't the only person that found himself at the receiving end of Wright's insults. Hodel and Ott, a prominent but anonymous Twitter account, Wright sued for defamation, was called an asshole. According to Wright, the bounty on Hodelnot's identity that ultimately led to him being doxxed was appropriate, as defamation isn't part of freedom of speech. Wright's defamation lawsuit against Hodel and Ott has been dismissed by the UK High Court due to a lack of jurisdiction. His attacks on anonymity sparked Westrop to ask him how about his own attempts to remain anonymous. If Wright truly was Satoshi Nakamoto, why did he hide his identity from the world until 2017? Unsurprisingly, though, Wright dismissed the question on a technicality. Quote, Satoshi Nakamoto isn't anonymous. It's pseudonymous. You're assuming no one knows or knew who I was. End quote. While he didn't shy away from talking about his anonymity, Wright was much more reserved when asked about BSV and the parabolic pump it saw in January. The Bitcoin offshoot saw a massive rally, which pumped its price to over 100% in less than a week. And while the pump was followed by a slight pullback, the significant upward momentum didn't go unnoticed by the market. Quote, I know what and who is behind it, Wright said. However, he noted that none of that was public information, and he wasn't going to share the information he had. The only thing he revealed was that while there was some interest in the market, the pump certainly wasn't organic. The intense and often uncomfortable interview certainly didn't do Wright any favors. If his discourteous attitude wasn't enough to put people off, then his ill-advised and thoughtless bashing of everything that's not related to BSV certainly did the trick. Okay, that's the end of that article. <laughs> Commentary? I. It's not worth the time, although clearly there's contradictions of his view of anonymity. That's that's obvious. What what I did find strange was that the person writing this story somehow or another seems to think that this behavior might be odd when, dude, he's been acting like this since 2015. And quite, you know, frankly, it wasn't, I think it was way before 2017 that Wright crawled out of whatever scum hole he lives in and decided to announce to the world that he was Satoshi Nakamoto. It was well before 2017. Um, I re- I remember the the GQ article. I can't remember what date. Hold on, let me let me let me look at that. Uh, that that's what I thought. the The whole GQ thing that kind of kicked this whole thing off happened in 2016. So it's been four. You know, it's been like three and a half years or so, something like that, since this entire. Honestly, I think it it seems like it's been a lot longer than that, though. Frankly, I don't know. Maybe it was. Anyway, the, 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 in a quick search, the only thing that I can really find here is uh, 2016. November of 2016 was when uh, GQ published their interview with Craig Wright, and that whole thing kicked wide open. So, yeah, take it what it is, but I, I, it's always fun to listen to this guy rant because, and especially this, God, this whole thing, 
this whole thing with that he knows what and who is behind the BSV pump, but he's not going to tell anybody, but that the pump certainly wasn't organic. This is just classic Craig, just like he has the one thing I will say about Craig, he's got a great ability to be able to latch on to anything that is murky and be able to give it some kind of substance. That's a real art form that that dude has developed. He's still a dick, but you know, come on. Anyway, that's going to do it for your morning roundup. We're coming to the end of the week. It's a Thursday. Tomorrow will be Friday, so let's start getting some upbeat music here. And you know what? I'm just going to play some, uh, I'm just going to give you guys some more yes, because anytime that I need to look for anybody who's going to be upbeat in their music, it's going to be yes. It just, it just is. I have never heard a sad song or morbid or morose or any kind of negativity ever come out of this band. Not even sad love songs have, has come out of this band, at least none that, none that I am aware of. Uh, but the uh, this particular song is the live version of Owner of a Lonely Heart, which was their huge hit when they hired uh, Trevor Rabin to come in and uh, be uh, kind of be their front man for uh, uh, this kind of stuff. Well, what they did is they were kind of, you know, the yes kind of wasn't doing a whole lot. They weren't, um, oh how to say they weren't really making any more strides than they had already made in the late seventies. They're coming into the eighties and it's just kind of stagnant. So they kind of, in a way they jumped the shark, but they did it in the best way because Trevor Rabin, dude, one of the best guitar players that there is. And what's so funny about Trevor Rabin is that he was a soap opera star, kind of like Rick Springfield. I've played Rick Springfield on this show before. Rick Springfield got his start in soap operas. And in a way, so did Trevor Rabin. Just so happened that Trevor Rabin is a much better guitar player than Rick Springfield. And he really supercharged that band for at least a couple of albums. And then he then I think they fired him. Anyway, they came back. Anyway, this is a very recent, probably about five, maybe six years old, a recent performance from Yes Live doing Owner of a Lonely Heart.
this daily train wreck is actually a few days old. This is actually from January the 22nd. So we're, we're well a week away from, from this dude. Jaidu Krishjani is writing on January the 22nd. Now he's writing in response to this thing that he got in concerning the, uh, LN trust chain Two. Apparently he very much wanted to hold that torch and nobody would give it to him probably because he has three followers and, Almost no tweets about Bitcoin. Actually, I don't think he has any tweets about Bitcoin. Yet the account was started in January of 2015. He's following nobody and has three followers and is begging for the torch. Nobody will give it to him. So he says this, no problem. The at Hodel and not like this tweet. And then he actually references a tweet. Thank you to everyone who wanted me to be the torch bearer, but I don't want anything to do with this Nazi torch anymore. All who doubted my authenticity will be blocked. I'm telling you, man, we are one heartbeat away from all being labeled as Nazis. If you're into Bitcoin, you're a Nazi, okay? You're a freaking Nazi. I'm telling you, we are we are a heartbeat away from being labeled as such. So be aware, be on your on your guard. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile. Now I'm just gonna skip right on into uh, Dad says jokes. Uh, let's do this. Let's do this one right here. Um, I didn't take my husband's name when I got married. I thought it would be confusing if we were both called Kevin. Well, shoot, I had the sound effect of that woman yelling Kevin in Home Alone as a sound effect, but it just didn't really translate. I was going to put it in there like a couple of times where she's screaming Kevin, but dude, she's like, it's just like bouncing around like these horrible frequencies in, in the in the equalizer and no, it's just going to, no, no, I'm not going to do that shit to you guys. Anyway. So there we are. We've come to the end of yet another Bitcoin and with all manner of chicanery, stupidity, and some, some good stuff too. I mean, there's, there, there's some good stuff in there. Uh, yeah, we are, uh, coming into the weekend tomorrow will be Friday. Uh, we're bouncing around 94, Hundred on the Bitcoin price. It's eleven ten a.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, we had a really weird looking wick. It's a, a red candle with a very long double wicks, both up and down. Uh, looks like it's re- like ninety four hundred. Looks like it's being some some fairly killer resistance here. So be careful with that. Uh, although we got a we got a green one that's going up right now. Uh, taking us up to ninety four fifty five, ninety four fifty two. So we'll just have to watch this son of a bitch and see what it does. Other than that, dudes, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.